Hi, and welcome to the Faith That Does Justice podcast, the official podcast of Campus Ministry at John Carroll. Join us this semester as we hang out with some of your favorite faculty and staff as we try to figure out what it means to live out a faith that does justice. I'm Kathleen Sardone, and today I'm chatting with Tiffany Galvin-Green, our VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and Megan Wilson-Wrights, also from Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and a lecturer in Theology and Religious Studies. I'm so excited to learn more about what faith that does justice means to both of you. Thanks so much for joining me and us, our listeners. Um, How are each of you doing this morning? Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. It is early. <laughs> Feels early. Um, so Megan, um, if you don't mind getting us started with your prayer that you're bringing. Sure. So this is a prayer that um, is an excerpt from a homily written um, by Father Ken Untener on the occasion of the Mass for Deceased Priests um, on October 25th, 1979. And it has become since then known as the Oscar Romero prayer because it speaks to um, his vision for the church and the world. It's called Prophets of a Future Not Our Own. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Amen. It's so funny. I think I've heard that prayer a lot, but each time I, you know, something else resonates with me. Um, do you want to say a little bit about why you chose that one or, or what resonated today? Um, I think that this really speaks to the work that we do in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I think anyone who does justice work understands that there's this long process that's part of that, right? That, um, you know, you, you have small successes and you have to honor them and you have to see them in this bigger picture because those successes can be small um, and the work can feel huge. And so I think that understanding ourselves as being part of this long, um, you know, train of, of 
effort, right? That, that we're just part of this picture. We're not the whole picture that we, we're not trying to accomplish everything. We're trying to accomplish our piece of this work in the place that we've been, been placed. I think that's a really comforting vision. And it also makes me feel very surrounded by community, right? Because I think sometimes this work can feel lonely and um, I think the more that we remind ourselves that we're part of a community uh, and a whole cloud of witnesses that came before us and on whose shoulders we stand, I think that really is, um, that's a very comforting feeling to be surrounded by all of those people. Um, I usually gravitate towards the seeds part, like we plant seeds, you know, that one day will grow because I can recognize that so much in my own life, you know, oh, that started actually way back there. And I didn't realize it at the time. And the people who planted those seeds don't know that those like came to fruition, you know, or grew, except that hopefully we know that the spirit moves people, you know, um, throughout our lives. Um, but today I thought about the community part. Um, because I think maybe it's easy to feel isolated right now, you know, um, sort of feel like we're, there's this collective movement, um, even if we can't see those people, um, yeah, it's reassuring. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, could you either both, I don't know who wants to start, um, share a little bit about what shaped your faith as children, um, or in your youth things that help shape your spirituality. Anyone, anything? Yeah. Sure, I'll go first. Um, I thought that was an interesting question to reflect on. Um, I think a large part of what's shaped my faith has been my um, family. Um, I, I grew up sort of with a, a notions of spirituality being not necessarily it's that whole god is 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 in all things kind of notion it wasn't necessarily in a particular place or something that was only um practiced on a particular day um from just and and it, and it really was something that was displayed more than it was talked about in my upbringing and so it's the sort of thing that i witnessed and, and, you know, I might've heard some things talked about, about sort of how you should love God and how you should have faith and how you should treat others. But I really learned about that and the examples of what I saw in my parents and how they interacted with, with not just me, but with others. How, you know, I, I, I learned about the practice of things because sometimes, you know, I remember um, being pretty, I remember going to a particular church as a young child, and then we eventually did not go to that church for a while because some of the behaviors we saw displayed did not match um, what, you know, the principles that we believed in. And they were, you know, just simple human fallacies that end up taking place sometimes in, in small organized churches, such as, you know, how people talk to each other, the expectations that people have of each other, the harshness in tone, the things that become, that, that start to feel obligatory as opposed to coming from an internal need. And my parents pretty much, you know, locally expressed to me that that is not what 
they really believe in and they did not want to sort of raise me to believe that that was what you had to do to be active in a church community or in a faith community, that this is something that you should enjoy doing, you know, the, the volunteering and, 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 and what you want to do and how active you want to become involved should not be relegated, but to just certain individuals, it should come from within. And so, you know, for a while we didn't go to any particular place. Instead though, my parents, particularly my father was very clear that we were gonna spend the day though in fellowship with each other as a family. And we did different things and we did outings. And um, I laughed because I was a very bookish kind of a kid like Megan's daughter. And that was a day also I was not allowed to be bookish. I was, if we had to take a long ride somewhere, I had to participate in the conversation. I had to look out the window. We had to talk about things. Um, we might've even had to sing something if, my, if something was on my mother's heart, but whatever, it was almost like we created our own fellowship. So a large part of, you know, the shorter version is that I, I got a lot of my formation from that. I spent summers with my grandparents um, my grandmother was a faithful attendee at the church that my parents had grown up in, and I still just never connected any of, I saw how much she gave to others and how much she even gave of her time to that particular church. And so I just adopted a lot of its, its faith is, you know, um, is, is in the works. It's in the, in the doing, it's in the impression that you leave on others. It's in the time that you take with, with others. And that made certain scriptures come alive to me because it didn't seem disconnected to what I experienced. I, you know, I had a really great childhood and most of that defined through relationships, not through stuff and not through practices. It, it was really, and I think that that has played a large part in um, how I try to proceed in life. When I think of examples for dealing with um, tough situations, it was never about sort of um, a longing for anything. It was really much more about showing appreciation giving of self, giving of time, those kinds of things end up being, I, I notice it, it shapes the way that you do pray, it, the kinds of prayers that you do have, the kinds of things that you look for, for fulfillment. And so um, I'll leave it at that, but that's a large part of how I do that. Thanks, I love that image of, of you all riding in the car, you know, of, um no distractions, right? Just being um, really fully present to each other. It's hard for me to imagine taking the books away from my kid in the car. <laughs> it was hard to experience. Yeah, I'd, I'd have a mutiny on my hands. <laughs> um, I also think what great awareness, you know, to say like, we don't, we don't wanna do things out of obligation, you know? We wanna be motivated um, by, by what we see in each other, right? Recognizing that we see, we can see God in everybody, right? Um, especially in our, in our loved ones, right? Yeah. That was, that was much my experience too, that I grew up um, in a small 
church community in East Cleveland, um, a Catholic church, which has since been closed. It was closed in, you know, when the, you know, in the closing of diocese or that, sorry, in the closing of the parishes that the diocese was doing, um, that was, that was one that, that got shut down, but that's the church I grew up in. And um, because it was such a small church, it had a very, very small community, a very diverse community. Um, and it was just sort of a, it was very marginalized even in the diocese. Um, you know, we were poor as a community. We had a very small group of people. You know, we were just always sort of, um, you know, bumping along with this really little community. And for me, that was the model of church that worked and has always worked for me. Um, and when I've gone to big church communities, um, I feel very out of place um, because to me, the church has always felt like something that operates best at the fringes um, and on the margins. And so, um, you know, growing up in that church where everybody had to chip in to make something happen. I remember one Easter Sunday where there was a, a um, unseasonable blizzard that happened on, in Easter Sunday, which is, you know, it's Cleveland, so it's not unusual. But um, it was Easter Sunday and we showed up at mass and um, it was so late in the season that East Cleveland had run out of salt. Um, for the roads. And so almost no one was able to get to church. And so we got there and there were only a handful of families that had made it there for Easter Sunday mass. And the person whose job it was to clear away the snow uh, couldn't get there. And so I was in my Sunday, Easter Sunday best out in front of the church with a snow shovel, shoveling the walks that morning. So that the little ladies who were coming to mass weren't going to slip and fall on the steps coming into the church. And so I finally finish, you know, clearing away the snow and I like brush myself off and I get inside just as they're starting the mass. And the deacon is out on the altar scanning this very scant congregation. And he sees me come in all like red cheeked from the snow and everything. And he points to me and he gestures me up really quick to the altar. And I'm like, what? And he goes, we need a lector. <laughs> And I thought, this is like, this is my experience of church, right? It's like all hands on deck. <laughs> Flexibility. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, to me, church has always been that very participatory um, experience. And I think that, you know, that's, I'm really grateful for that because it's really formed me. I'm just struck that both, both of those are such intimate, um, relational like formation, formative experiences or formative times, you know, and I think um, those are the things that are, that stay with us um, or have stayed with me the most. Um, can you tell us about someone who has shaped your faith, um, your ideas of justice? Maybe that's the same person. They've, there's been some interplay there. Oh, okay, it seems it's my turn again. Um, yeah, I thought I've thought about that question, and I think most strongly um, it's been my mother, who I lost my mother eight years ago, so that might also contribute to no, it doesn't contribute to how much where I hold her because she was a, a really strong influence on me when she wasn't aware of it. Um, I, it first, it starts with you know. Um, maybe in the mother-daughter way, it starts in the emulation and modeling, and then it, and then it develops more into what you learn about a person. But um, a lot of what we're talking about, faith and justice, right? Um, a lot of what I, you know, I learned was 
by things that she said, things that I, I, I ways that I saw her deal with individuals, ways that I, I saw her, she was a, a teacher and then a counselor um, and adored by everyone that, that met her at, for her, her pleasantness. And I never met, her name was Grace and she literally displayed that in, in so many different aspects. And watching someone sort of display a sense of grace and most everything that they do is something that you, you know, prescribe to. And she didn't necessarily, I, I, I thought about a piece of the prayer that you read that talks about sort of being more about the, the work and not the person. She never sort of wanted much attention to her. The biggest thing, like she sang a lot, but she never would have called herself a singer. Never joined a choir. Um, but everything I, my first moments of singing, and I do sing a lot and enjoy it, but my first memories of about related to music and singing was literally being by her side in church and listening to her sing a hymn and, you know, and, and being right up under her and it floating like right above me. I could just feel it and it just felt like it was just wonderful. I want to do that. And I was trying to figure out how to sing exactly like her. And she down to, you know, being at home and, and she might just be singing around the house. And there were certain rituals that came along with music, like washing clothes. That was our time to, to play the same two records and sing them over and over and dance to them together. But, but you know, whether it was intentionally related to spiritual or not, it was something that I was always emulating to be sort of like her. And in doing that, it was not just um, spiritually how she connected to things. Cause I would also witness when she would be really deeply moved by something and I wasn't sure what it was, right? But I knew she was, you know, carrying something to the altar that day or, and, and we're not Catholic, but but these are the things that I witnessed and I wouldn't ask and I wouldn't, you know, go into it. And, and no matter, even if she was sort of in a moment that was tearful, she would always manage to look over afterwards and give me a good smile, like a big reassuring thing. So that communicated to me sort of a lot of the, it will be okay, you know, have a little faith. And, and without, without the words, right? And so then when you get to more of the justice aspect, I just, a lot of it had to do with also, I never saw her treat anyone differently. And she um, would applaud that I had that same aspect in me. Like she told me stories of, um, a really short story that comes to mind is we, we were friends with a family that had a, a son who was um, severely disabled um, and I was rather young and that was, we were going to the house to visit and the couple that were friends of my family said, now we will make sure children get often really get afraid of him. Um, so, so, you know, they were trying to warn my parents and they were like, Tiffany will be fine. It's not a big deal, right? And I, of course, went in and <laughs> I laugh about this now. I wonder when I always say, I don't know where my son gets these things from. I went right in and went right to um, 
their son to try to play and do whatever. And even though it was not like, probably like anyone I had ever met because he, you know, he really couldn't speak and his movements were everywhere. And none of this seemed to affect me at all. I went right on, you know, playing with or talking to or trying to understand. And they were so moved as parents because it was opposite to what they were used to having to deal with. They said that was, you know, and they forever held me in such high regard. And my parents were sort of like, that's just kind of who she is and who we are. And, and, and then it extends, you know, as you get older, we, know we were never above or beyond being able to help anyone or work with anyone or do things. And I think, again, that, that translates to how, you, how I approach the work that I do, because I'm really trying to understand people from where they are and really taking on how I can be most helpful. But we've been talking a lot about a lot it, a, a lot about it in the last couple of days with some of the things we've been wrestling with. And that's a lot of where I, I talk about looking for the humanity, even in the most difficult, because um, you know, we've encountered all kinds of difficult people. But I, our favorite stories were remember when we got there and they didn't want to talk to us or the tension or the things that were there. And by the end, we were all hugging and things like that. We had lots of stories like that. And I think that that has to do a lot with, you know, I know I'm talking about relational things, but the justice work sometimes is dealing with the difficult to try to get to a better place or going to work in places that are not comfortable to try to give of yourself and your time. And I have countless stories of, you know, walking in places and all right, this may not be anything you've ever experienced before, but we're gonna, and, but I didn't have to get the talk before I got in. Um, but I just followed the lead of what I would see them doing, particularly my mother. And, and, and it's funny how many lessons, we forget this as parents too, how many lessons are given that way. You think it's got to come in the lecture you give or, or, or afterwards. Do you, do you realize what just happened there? Let's make sure we got the lessons. But when I think about my largest lessons and what shaped me, it was not verbal. It was, it was um, but, you know, the modeling. And so I'd also try to model. Sounds like um, you've been doing that work of relationships for a long time. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the other thing that's kind of just a small thing to mention, I grew up in Detroit, and but my family was all from Florida. So, um, but my experience of growing up is you would have thought I had a large family in, in Michigan. And that was mostly because of who my parents were and how we how we blended in and got along and built, and how they were able to build the community for themselves and for me. And I look for that kind of an experience wherever I go. It's not tied to any formal relations. It's tied to what you do to build the community, like much like you described with the church, Megan. Yeah. Um, I was curious, Tiffany, if any of those songs that you remember singing with your mom or hearing her, um listen to if you still listen to any of those if prayer if music still is something that you use for prayer or 
Well, there's always the songs I still remember that were our washing clothes songs. And there was a really funny, one was a like an old, um, I guess a gospel song that was um, pretty popular in the, oh, am I going to say it out loud, in the 70s. Back then. <laughs> Back then. Um, but mostly I remember just a couple of certain hymns. Like I always remember um, her doing Amazing Grace or... Yeah or a couple of others, but um, none that are, are stand out particular right now. I have to remember what that one was, but she had a this wonderful voice and I would always tell her and she would just laugh at me like, what are you talking about? I don't have a wonderful voice. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was like, I sing because of you. And she's like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And it was just hilarious. <laughs> And I was like, well, I certainly don't get it from my father because I would stand up under him and he would miss a few notes and I was mm -hmm. closer to mom. <laughs> <laughs> and flow in the same way, right? <laughs> he was messing up my, my chi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, one of my earliest memories um, about, especially about church is about music. My dad is a liturgical musician um, and always has played piano and sang um, at our church. And when I was probably about three years old, because um, I, I must have been very little, because I have a very clear memory of sitting tucked underneath the organ in the choir loft and pressing my face up against the wood in order to hear the, the music through the, the wood of the organ. Um, up in the choir loft and I must have just been a, a toddler and you know going along with my father for choir practice or something but um but yeah I mean I, I have these memories of music from when I was really really little um and I think uh liturgical music still today is really meaningful for me and it's um you know if you ask anybody I have really terrible taste in music but um, I can always be counted on to know the words to like anything by, you know, Marty Hagen or whatever. You know, we have this very specific sort of generational uh, window of music as well in, in the church. So I've, I've got this really good like 1975 to 1986 liturgical music. I'm really good with that. <laughs> um. That's a gift. I think music just has this ability to take you back to different places in your in your memory, you know. Um, so I think it's just such a gift. Megan, so can you tell us? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say I was handing the baton over to Megan. Okay. Your turn. <laughs> well, you know, the question about where where you learn about justice. I mean, I think we always learn more about justice in our families than we realize, right? Because the way we understand what it, because the reason we care about justice is because we care about people, right? And we learn to care about people in our families, that we learn to, to treat, when we see that, that, when we understand that there are people in the world who aren't treated with the same love that we are treated with or that we're expected to treat others with within our family. And we're also taught that all people in the human family are our family. When we, when we see the disconnect between those two ideas, I think that's where our impetus for justice comes from, right? And so, you know, I remember that being, you know, very young. Uh, my mom is a social worker. And so, you know, I think we grew up talking a lot about 
um, you know, about poverty and about, um, you know, injustice and about addiction. And, you know, those were kind of topics in our house already. And, um, but, you know, my, my parents both work as professionals, right? So my, my mom is a social worker, my dad's an educator. And so, you know, for them, you know, you did that work sort of within this very sort of clear professional boundary. And so for me as a young adult, when I started getting involved in justice work, I got involved with the Catholic worker, um, which is very immersive, right? And there's not, um, we don't have good boundaries in the Catholic worker kind of by design. Um, And so it's very much like, you don't always know who is the client and who is the, you know, person who's doing the serving because there's this understanding that we all need help with some things and we all have something to contribute. And so there isn't this sort of clear boundary between, um, you know, the person providing the service and the person receiving it. That's just not part of that, that community. And I think that taught me a lot about also the human family, right? That we, we can't, um, we can't put up those artificial boundaries if we're going to have real, you know, authentic relationship. Uh, but I, I know that the, the Catholic worker, which um, I, I mean, I think a lot of um, folks in our community are familiar with the Catholic worker, but, um, you know, for those who aren't, it's, it's, a, um, it's a community that was founded um, in, during the Great Depression by Dorothy Day and Peter Morin um, uh, in New York City, and then has spread to be a, you know, kind of an international movement of houses that are usually small houses of hospitality, um, people choosing to live together in community, often voluntary poverty, um, and just this idea of living together in community with people who are marginalized in some way. And so you don't, like I said, you don't know when you walk into a Catholic worker community uh, who is there because they want to serve and who's there because they need to be served. Because there is this sense that we just all need to be served by one another and that we need to be in community together. Um, and so that that has been a very, very influential thing in my life, the Catholic worker community. But as I um, got involved with it, one of the characteristics of the Catholic worker, in addition to hospitality, um, is also this um, activist presence against um, you know, the forces of war and the forces of injustice and the forces of violence. And so there's this um, strong, um, you know, kind of a public witness presence that the Catholic worker has as well. And so um, I got involved with some of our public witnesses um, against war. And we did an action at the Cleveland Air Show in 2006 um, to protest the military presence there. Um, and several of us got arrested. And so, um, you know, I remember my mother saying to me, I cannot believe you are planning to do civil disobedience and go to jail. And I don't even, where did you learn this? And I was like, from, from you, (laughs) I learned this from you. She's like, I never taught you this, but you taught me to care enough about people that it's worth putting yourself on the line to defend them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, she, she was quite upset with me for, you know, nobody wants their kid in the Cleveland Municipal Jail. Um, but it, it was, um, you know, it was one way to express that, um, you know, that matter of faith, which is that all people in the world are brothers and sisters, and we can't, um, we can't condone any kind of um, action that would treat anyone as less than our sibling. Uh, that's 
that's so funny. I can imagine a conversation with, with a parent <laughs> saying, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't teach you. Um, is there something, did you get connected with them when you were in college? Or I guess, how did you get connected with this, with the Catholic worker? And is there something, I mean, Dorothy Day is just such an interesting um, character and so much, so much there. Is there something about her life that you find particularly um, moving or that you've you've come back to time and time again? Yeah, I mean, I think Dorothy Day is a really interesting um, saint. I mean, she's not a saint yet, but she's going to be, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think what I like about her and I, <clears throat> you know, being uh, connected with the Catholic worker for a long time, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of people who knew her um, and uh, really, you know, to tell a lot of stories about her. And, and she was a, a prickly and difficult person, you know, a lot of the time. And so I think that um, to me is very, it's very inspiring to think of like this person who was a deeply holy person who was also really grouchy. <laughs> um, and, and um, you know, and difficult to live with and, you know, um, demanding. And I think, you know, okay, so if, if she can be a saint, you know, given all that, like, I, I've got it. I'm, I'm in the running still, right? Because I'm a difficult person to live with too. Um, <clears throat> but, the, you know, she had this very uncompromising commitment to the image of God in the other, right? That every single person who crosses your path is, is the face of Jesus. And if you can't see him there, you're just not looking hard enough. And that Jesus is present in every person and that you have to, you, you, there's this commandment to treat each human being regardless of how difficult or, um, you know, challenging that relationship, you have to treat them like the image of, of Christ. And that um, to me is such a, like, that's the heart of the faith to me. And it's the heart of the faith because it's so hard to do. You know, mm -hmm. it is hard to treat some people like they are Jesus because um, they sure aren't acting like it. Um, <laughs> and so I think that um, that challenge is really at the heart of, of how I practice and understand my faith and, and how I hope I'm teaching it to my children as well. And I think that's something that, that Dorothy Day really, she lived, um, uh, Dan Berrigan, Father Dan Berrigan, the, the activist Jesuit, um, famously said of Dorothy Day that she lived as though the truth were true. And I have always loved that description of her. I think it's, she gave everything to this belief, right? She gave everything in her life over to this commitment to the, the truth, you know, as she understood it. And I think that's a, a level of commitment that a lot of us struggle to live up to um but it is such a great witness i think for what is possible if you believe that the truth is true uh, i've never heard that but i'm gonna have to go back and spend some time with that with that um and i love that when you talked about the two components of this of the catholic worker that it's really this you're, you, there's an action component, right? And that's what we're saying is that our faith has an action component in our everyday um, interactions with people um, and those that are maybe a little bit out of our everyday like civil disobedience, you know? Mm -hmm. So thank you. Um, thank you both for that. 
it's funny. I was I'm listening to um, Megan's history and and thinking about and I was thinking about sort of we have different styles, right? Um, Megan is very much um, a fire starter. <laughs> and, and, and I seem to be much more um, measured with things. And I was just thinking a little bit about some of the things that you, you know, you learn, like you had those particular sets of experiences with um, your parents. And um, I was trying to reflect on, well, I just, it made me think in all the, the, the things that I've told you and shared so far, um, when I think more about like justice or injustice. So my parents experienced a lot of mm-hmm. injustices growing up, particularly growing up in um, the era in which they did and in the South. Mm-hmm. And, and they even shared, you know, sometimes some experiences or having to deal with segregation and, 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 and certain other things. And even um, my father being a little bit more active in protests than my mother because my mother was much more um, guarded about well she she would even joke that my father had certain privileges that she didn't have so she he could spend his time in that way she had to make sure um, growing up with less means that she took care of certain other things in terms of priority but then she did end up in one protest in college where she ended up I think being in a part of the mass arrest and almost, you know, that almost was detrimental to finishing college. So, but but they, they, they were reasonably active, but these are not the stories or the ways that they shared their experiences with me. There was never any, same thing with anything I learned from my grandparents, right? There was never any bitterness about things. There was never any sort of anger. It was this approach of, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I learned that they still, they, they learned how to get through and get along and persevere through some people, even, even experiences that shaped their early career development and stifled them from being able to advance, um, was met with a determination of this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to work on. This is how we focus on relationships more than the actions or the people, but it's just kind of, when I think about it, it was like, yeah, there should have been a lot more, um, you, you would think a lot more of the, the, of the things that I, that we wrestle with now, the amount of things that we might read and learn about. And, and yes, I'm knowledgeable, but why don't I have the same sort of, I don't have, um, you know, anger or resentment towards injustice, I have a need to, you know, that longer term view, like we were talking about from the prayer, that that work on things sort of in the, I'm, I'm, I'm very much about small wins. And, and I think that comes more from probably me learning the, yes, that happened, but we got this from it. Or yes, this occurred, but you know now I see this, and 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 so this this bend towards gratefulness and appreciation, as opposed to um, harboring any kinds of resentment or or negative energy in, in that way from from it. And it's just funny. So sometimes I don't, I'm like I don't have the same gusto in the same way, and I think it's because it was more. A lot of it, a lot of the focus in my upbringing 
was more on the, I wouldn't say positive, just more on the, well, what can we, more on the different end of the scale. And I think both are needed. You know, you need, you need the, you need the fight and you also need the, the, I, will, I don't want to say retreat in a bad way, but you need the, what happens back in the retreat? Because sometimes it's in those small moments that, that, you know, like we, like the story we were sharing yesterday, it's in the small moments in the one-on-one -on -one connections that, that impress upon people for change. And then sometimes it's the mass kinds of protests that, or the mass kinds of putting yourself on the line that impresses change and yeah. both are needed, right? The balance. It reminds me of uh, the book that we read in our community book read this summer. Um, we read the book, The Person You Mean to Be by, by Dolly Chogan. She talks about needing, um, you know, that, that social action needs light and heat, right? That we need people who um, show up with, with heat, right? They, they apply heat to a situation. So the fire starters, right? We need people who are gonna be on the lines and they're gonna be protesting, we're gonna be shutting stuff down. Um, we need that because that's what applies pressure that, that um, what's the, what's the, the quotation um, that power concedes nothing without a demand, right? Who said that? <laughs> I don't represent that. Mr. Frederick Douglass, somebody, somebody really important said power concedes nothing without a demand. I'll have to look it up. Um, but you know, that, that there are these you know, people who apply heat to, to the situation and that we need that, but that if that's all you have is heat, then you don't have anybody shining light in, you know, the conditions of darkness. And so, um, you also need people who bring light and who can bring light to these, you know, to these situations in, in the context where they exist. And so, you know, I think that's why I really love working with Tiffany because I think she is a really great example of, um, you know, somebody who shines light in situations where people haven't even seen things before, right? She's in this wonderful space where she can, you know, enter into a space and say, hey, let's turn a spotlight on this question. You know, can we, can we ask this question? And, you know, people can hear her and, you know, um, you know, I, I might be standing outside with a protest sign saying, look at the thing, you know, but, but they won't look at it until she shines the light on it and so I just think it's really great um I mean I just really appreciate that about her I, it's I think Frederick Douglass. it wasn't Frederick Douglass oh, good <laughs> um that brings me back to the um the prayer in our comments about community at the beginning you know and I think that um Sometimes when you think about the work of justice, you can see these sort of awe-inspiring figures, you know, who have their own, um, well, their own way of being, right? And their own way of like proceeding towards that, that end goal, you know, or greater justice. Um, and so you can think, well, I don't have those, you know? So I love, um, I just appreciated both of your reflections and that we each bring what we have, right? What God gave us, you know, and our own gifts. And that when you combine all of those things, um, that's what moves us forward collectively. Um, so, and that's why justice is so important, right? Because any condition of injustice keeps some people from sharing their gifts fully. And the world needs everyone's gifts and we need everyone living at the, best possible, highest possible level that they can in order for us to, 
thrive as a human family. And every time we have a condition of injustice, we keep somebody, right? Whenever there are hierarchies of human value or conditions of oppression, um, conditions of, of, you know, desperate poverty or inequality, you're, you're keeping some people from expressing that fullness of their human person. And that's a, that's a violation against God. And mm -hmm. so that's why the work is so important. And then I would also say that it's in doing the work that you also may discover the variants of gifts that we have, right? That, that it's in, uh, not that, um, it's, it's that kind of catch 22 for lack of a better word. Like I, I ran a nonprofit for several years and it was an interesting, I would say it was an interesting model to think now if we were truly successful in doing the work we were engaged in, we wouldn't need to exist anymore. <laughs> um, because if we really could sort of eradicate the problems and, 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 and fix the, the, the ailments all in that, it was a behavioral health organizations. So we dealt with all of, a lot of different societal ills. And it was like, but really and truly, it's like this one job where if you were really focused, like on the end state, the, the ultimate end state um, would, would not need us anymore. Um, we, would, we would put ourselves out of business, which um, would be great and also not so great, right? But great. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's like that sort of the, the end state Again, I think there's a powerful prayer that you use is that it's not just in the, the focus on the end state, which would be justice for all, but in the journey towards that, that, that actually also delivers a lot of different gifts at the same time too. Yes, it would be great if we were already at the end state of complete justice, that would, that would be great. But then there's also in the working towards that really that unveils who's your heat and who's your light, who has a gift and a talent for um, this kind of way with working with people, who has a, a passion and a good match with doing these kinds of work, do, with reaching these kinds of individuals or, you know, finding out and discovering, oh, wow, I really was able to engage in that, that difficult situation or that difficult conversation um, and bring some enlightenment or see someone go, oh, or see someone turn around to do the very work they were against yeah. um, a year prior or a month prior. I mean, all of these things are when we have that, that whole conversation of, um, you know, God in all things, you know, we discover our gifts and talents on this journey of trying to do um, this justice work. And, and so... I think it is important not to concentrate too much on the end, even though that that is the what's driving you. Because yes, injustice is is marginalizing and, and mitigating voices and talents that need to be heard. And um, but in the work towards that, new talents and other kinds of gifts are also being displayed, created. But if you don't do participate in the work, you may not even discover these kinds of um, abilities. And participating in the work doesn't mean that it has to be a part of it. It happens to be a part of our titles. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's really not really 
the danger in having people that have these things as a part of their titles is it can get relegated to, oh, that's what they do. And it's really what we all should do. And we're just here as reminders. We're just mm -hmm. here as sort of holding up the sign in different ways or having the conversation. Um, but it's really not just our work. It's just, you know, reminders. Not any more than those that have, you know, ministry in their work, that ministry is only a part of the job of those that have ministry as a part of their, their title or their area. It's like, no, actually, it's what we're all supposed to be doing. We're just here to kind of guide, direct, remind, um, but it's, it's, it's the work of all of us, right? And some of us just are lucky enough to get paid to do it, right? <laughs> I mean, for me, I just feel so grateful every day to be able to do this work that has been so much, you know, a passion um, for me my whole life and to be able to do it professionally is just a real, um, it's a real gift, so. But you would do the work regardless. Well, yeah, but I get, but I get to do it all day. And that's, <laughs> really fun. that's right. it's really exciting. Well, you know, and there's something else that you, there's something else that you said that struck me that, um, you know, it, in doing the work that we learn what the work is that we're supposed to be doing, right? That, um, you know, it occurs to me that that's, that's sort of how Jesus operates too. You know, if you look at the stories in the gospels about how he enacted his ministry, he didn't like call everybody together and be like, okay, now here are the things that you need to believe. And now once you've believed them all, then we're going to go do some stuff, right? He never did that. He was like, hey, you over there. Okay, follow me. And they were like, I have no idea who this guy is or what he's about or what he believes and what he's asking of me, but here I go, right? And they just dropped everything and they followed him. So the action always comes first, right? And then, so you, you enter into the, the work, you enter into the relationship, you enter into the commitment. And then as you go down that road with him, then you sort of like, it becomes clearer as you, as you move into it. But you have to take the first step first, right? That's why he says, you know, give your possessions to the boar and then follow me, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to do the action of entering into the community and then you'll figure out what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to, you know, what you're what, what you what you believe in follows on the heels of what you already put your body in motion to do and i think that's the message of the gospels that we often miss in our desire to you know feel like we believe the right things um but in fact that's not how he operated i love that reminder to start with action you know and i think um I kind of always like to know what I'm doing, you know, or what my, what I'm going towards. Um, but it really is a, a trust, you know, an invitation to trust that we're going to discover that I'll discover something more about myself, you know, and about my context by just starting, um, with, with good intentions and, and an open heart, you know, in willingness. And what we know about the Holy Spirit is that, you know, she enters into the world and guides us, right, as we go. And so, um, you know, it's, it can be, it can be unsettling in our, especially in our culture, where we're all about self-reliance, right, mm -hmm. to rely on this indwelling presence of God. But, you know, that's, that's what we're called to, I think, at least that's, that's what I feel I'm called to as a Christian, as a Catholic to, you know, 
really obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that, that can be very uh, challenging, right? When we want to feel like we're in control of things, but we're not. <laughs> Just give it up now, right? Hand it, up. Or hand it over, hand it over better. Um, can I end with a, a quick question for each of you? Just a, um, a hope or dream that you have for our John Carroll community, since that's sort of our shared context um, with each other. Sure, I'll go first so that Tiffany has the last word. Um, my hope and dream for our community is that we become a community that enacts justice within our walls as well as um, beyond our walls. Um, that we understand that the way we live together in community um, as, a, as a school, right? As a place where people live and where they work and where they study, that in the classroom, that in all of those spaces that we have as a community, that we can um, you know, enact relationships of justice in all of those spaces. And, and um, you know, I think we're really good at saying we're gonna go out and serve the world, right? We're really good at, at helping our students commit to that. Um, and I just pray that we can also live that um, experience of justice you know, inside our community. I think that that's my, that's my hope. And I see us moving in that direction. Yeah. I think Megan gave a, a completely good answer. I could end with ditto, but uh, <laughs> I'll add to, on top of that, that I think much like what I shared is, was important in my formation is that in, in, in the modeling of behavior, what that looks like as a community sometimes then is what forms as, as your impression, as your reputation, as what you are you know, known for. So in enacting it, I'd like for it to become even you know, more pronounced that this is who we are, this is what we believe in and practice and in such a way that it's, it's very clear, it doesn't even have to be professed it doesn't have to be in, in official statements. It doesn't have to be in even official areas that it becomes sort of a part of, yeah, that's what I experienced and also how I was treated and, and what I, I, I came to learn as a student there and what I experienced as I worked there and what I wanted to become more of that, that it really is um, that faith in action kind of a, principle that we really do start to not, you know, that there's not that there isn't already, but there really is a strong connection of what is this community about um, that's understood through its behaviors more through, than through its statements. And, and of course, then the statements, I mean, the statements are there, the principles are there, the, our mission is clear, but but every person that's in the community actually radiates it in the kind of questions they ask, the kinds of causes they, they care about, the kinds of ways they look out for each other, big and small. And I do think we have pockets of it, but do we have a, a glow around us that that is truly who we are as a community? Maybe less so. And, and I think we are getting to an age where you know, um, it's being called on us to actually do and show more than say and, and preach. So 
uh, you know, I'm talking really in, in, in large generalities, but that's what we, the work we engage in, it's very much the same thing you were saying that we, we truly display and enact certain behaviors. And then, then in turn, it becomes even more pronounced as a part of who we are with, without even having to explain, explain sort of what, what is John Carroll? Uh, it, it'll mm -hmm. be, is that's how you then um, attract new people, attract difference, um, appreciate difference and grow and sustain because that's what we're becoming as a society, different. Mm -hmm. Thank you both so much. Um, this has been such a wonderful way to start <laughs> Friday. <laughs> um, thanks so much for sharing your, your stories, your, the people who have shaped you, um, your family, sharing so much of those relationships with me and with us um, has been a real gift. So well, it's a you. pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. Yes, I've enjoyed it.